You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon today is Why Does It Matter? Why Does It Matter? We're just coming out of Easter where we celebrated the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we do this every year. Easter happens every year, and it's the biggest holiday in our Christian belief. It's the biggest event in regards to churches on a yearly basis. Most pastors behind the scenes say that it is considered our Super Bowl of services. So everybody tries to bring out all the stops We try and do all the things we can because that is the time that we have usually the most people that are coming to our churches. So we want to deliver the most important thing, which is the gospel message, that Christ died for your sins, he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose again the third day. But after all of that, after all of Easter, the question, and we'll see it in our passage today, so the question is, well, why does it matter? I have kids. I have a seven-year-old. I have a two-year-old daughter. And they're still, my seven-year-old and my two-year-old, are both in the why phase. They want to know an answer to the question. You answer that question. And then the next question is why. And then you try to explain that as you're trying to explain to a two-year-old why the sky is blue. Why do birds fly? Well, because they have wings. But why? Because they flap them and it causes them to move. But why? Because there's wind and it, it, it does this and that. But why? I don't know. I've, I'm out of answers. After the fourth why, I'm done. So the question that we're going to ask today is in regards to the resurrection. But why does it matter? But Why? And we're going to see in our passage in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be all over 1 Corinthians 15 today, we're going to see that Paul is addressing this same question and he's posing a a situation and a scenario of what happens if the resurrection did not happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Over the last couple of years, we uh, have... I guess, enjoyed as Disney and Marvel have made these movies, and they've started now as they've run out. I mean, there's millions of comics, but seemingly they've run out of stuff to do. And so they created this thing called the alternate universe, the alternate reality, to where then all of a sudden one of these characters can do something in their reality and alter another reality and how we can see the differences of these things happening as they make millions and billions of dollars making another movie and another movie and another movie. And as soon as it seems like they come to a wall in the movie of how can you go any further, they just put a twist on it and they say, well, there's another reality out there and in that other reality, this is what really 
happened. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians is writing to the church of Corinth, a Gentile church in his first letter, and he poses a scenario of what happens if the if Christ did not rise from the dead and shows us why it matters. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 starting in verse 12, we're going to read through verse 19. Paul is writing, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So this is not a question that you in all of your theological and, and, and brain power have just come up with in 2022 in regards to asking about the resurrection from the dead, even after Jesus was uh, resurrected in the first early church, they were asking and they had questions, is this real? Did this happen? And how do I know it happens? There's no resurrection of the dead. Verse 13 says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Verse 14, and here we go into the alternate universe, a different reality, and where Paul starts telling us this is what it looks like if Christ is not risen from the dead. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Well, this reality is starting to stink. Verse 15 says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead did not rise. Verse 16 says, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 17 says, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Two more verses, verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And lastly, in this alternate universe of Christ not rising, says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, there's no hope in the afterlife, then we are of all men, of all men, of all humanity, the most pitiable or pitiful, or miserable. Amen. Woo! What an alternate reality if Christ is not risen. So why does it matter? Because if Christ did not rise, then Paul stated that preaching is empty. And what does empty mean in the original text? It means vain. It means fruitless. It means without effect. It means devoid or empty of truth. It means without a gift. Well, that takes me out of a job real quick if Christ is not risen. It says your faith is empty and futile. What does futile mean in regards to your faith? It means that it's incapable of producing any useful results and pointless. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is empty and pointless. If Christ is not risen, then we're all false witnesses of God, it said. If Christ is not risen, then you're still in your sins. That's a big one. If Christ is not risen, those who have already died perished. And in the definition of perished in the original text means to incur loss of true or eternal life, eternal misery, or destroyed. And the last thing he said... That if Christ is not risen, then we're the most miserable of all men. 
If we're standing up there talking about this Jesus, talking about this Christ, and he did not rise from the dead, of all the men, of all humanity, it says that the Christians are the most pitiful, the most miserable. I'm not going to lie to you, I don't like that alternate reality. Because in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul immediately pulls us out of that reality and puts us in the correct reality. In verse 20, he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead, which automatically nullifies everything that he says in regards to what that reality would look like if Christ was not risen from the dead. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And I think we're, yeah, we're going to verse 22 here. For since by man came death, talking about Adam, by man, capitalized, talking about Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. And verse 22 says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Praise God. So if Paul presents this alternate reality of what Christ, what it looks like if Christ is not risen, and he lays out these six different things of what humanity and Christianity looks like if Christ is not risen. He just said that Christ is risen, so therefore the reverse, this new reality, this new uh, universe that we're walking into is what the truth looks like. So we're going to look at these lies that we just talked about, and we're going to debunk them in regards to using the ultimate truth of the Bible. So we're going to have a little bit more scripture today than normal, but we're at church and we read the Bible. So the first lie is that preaching is empty and that we are false witnesses of God. Preaching is empty and we are false witnesses of God. But because Christ is risen... The truth is that preaching is fruitful. It's not fruitless. Preaching is fruitful. The truth is that preaching doesn't, I mean, the truth is that preaching has an effect on people. And that preaching is full of truth. It's not devoid or empty of truth. That preaching is full of truth. Because Christ is risen, our preaching is not empty. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 11, a little bit before the passage that we read, Paul is writing and he says, Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. That Paul makes a distinction that because he preached, you believed. Because he preached the gospel message, because he preached the truth, because he was standing up and preaching and talking about Jesus, it is what was a catalyst to help the people in the church believe. I did the preaching, you did the believing, we came together and we talked about it. But we know that I'm not always around to preach to you. I haven't made an app yet of me preaching daily sermons that you can listen to me. But we have access, thank God, in this world to so many avenues of preaching. We can listen on the radio. We can listen on podcasts. We can listen on Facebook Live. We can come to church services and listen. Just like 
the 40 million flavors of ice cream, there's 40 million flavors of churches that we can go to. We can sit there and we can hear the Bible preached, the message preached. But if all of that was taken away, there's still one person that you could hear preach on a regular basis, and that's yourself. That every day, every moment, you have the opportunity to preach to yourself and remind yourself. Because it says here, if Christ is not risen, then preaching is useless, empty, and fruitless. But Christ is risen, so therefore, preaching is fruitful, it has effect, and it's full of truth. So I should be preaching to myself all the time. Instead of saying, woe is me, this hurts, this never works out, nothing works out for me, I should be preaching the Word of God to myself. I should be looking at myself in the mirror and saying, God is good, God is going to take care of you, God is going to provide for you, He sent His Word, He healed your body, He saved you, He restored you, He's on your side, He's cheering for you. You're no longer a victim, you are a victor because He triumphs in all things. That we learn to preach to ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4, going all the way to the beginning of the chapter, you've heard me preach this before. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which also you were saved. So it says here, Paul is making the statement that the only way you got saved is because somebody preached to you the gospel. And now he's going to define what the gospel is, by which you are also saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We've all been in services and churches and heard preachers preach a boring message. Please, Lord, don't let it be this one. But you know what? I'd rather be sitting in a church listening to the most boring of sermons than sitting at home listening to social media or the news or the government or whoever ramble on about what they're going to do to help me because they don't have the truth. Their name isn't truth. Their name doesn't mean truth. Jesus is truth and brought grace and truth as he came to this earth. Board preaching is better than no preaching at all. One of the other terms of preaching being empty says that it brings no gift if Christ is not risen. But Christ is risen, so therefore it does bring a gift. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him, being Jesus, in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You're hearing it from me today. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And look, the preacher is bringing a gift to you and me today who brings glad tidings of good things to come. Because Christ is risen, preaching is not empty. Preaching is not fruitless. Preaching is not devoid of the truth. And preaching does not bring gifts. 
preaching is very fruitful because Christ is risen. Preaching brings the truth to you, and it brings a gift to you, and it serves it to you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in this section, the other lie was that we are all false witnesses of God. Paul makes the statement that if Christ is not risen, then we should all be considered false witnesses because we have been preaching over and over and over again that Christ is risen. And so we have been lying to the people over and over and over again because that's all the message that Peter and that Paul and that these disciples could get out of their mouth. They would just say that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law, that Christ has forgiven you of your sins, and if you believe on him, you'll receive full remission of sins. And every time they said that, miracles, signs, and wonders, and the Holy Spirit broke out, and thousands and thousands of people got saved. That was their message. That was their sermon. That is what they brought brought to every town over and over and over again was the simple gospel message, and it saved thousands, and it changed thousands of people's lives. And he says, if Christ is not risen, then I am considered a false witness. If Christ is not risen, me, myself, and I is considered a false witness because I preach about it a whole bunch. The offering message that we talk about during Easter in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, says, here mortal men receive tithe, but there, talking about Jesus in heaven, he receives them. And why? Of whom it witnesses that he lives. He wit- we witness that he lives. In 1 John, if you read in 1 John chapter 1, it talks about how John, as he's writing to his, the people that are reading it at the time, he's talking about how he touched Jesus how we heard him. He's talking about the physical senses, how we saw with our eyes, how we heard with our ears, that we were all witnesses to the miracles, signs, and wonders that Jesus did. Each and every one of you have a story. Each and every one of you have a testimony. Each and every one of you have the ability to witness that Jesus is alive and that Jesus has saved you, he's healed you, he's restored you, he's helped you in some way. Christ is not risen, then we're all false witnesses, but we're, we know that he is risen. And because we know he is witnesses, we know that he is risen, then we are the most true witnesses of God everywhere we go. It says that we are the salt of the earth. It says that we're the light of the earth. It says that everywhere we go, we diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us. So therefore, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is inside of me. He can speak to me. He can lead me and guide me into all truth. He can give me his gifts that can help me prophesy, that can help me lay hands on the sick, that can help Help me preach this gospel message. We are the true witnesses of God because Christ rose from the dead. The second lie that Paul presents is that your faith is empty and your faith is futile. Your faith is empty and your faith is futile if Christ is not risen. But the truth is, because Christ is risen, your faith is full Your faith is valuable, and your faith is useful. The faith that you have is useful. The faith that you have is what helps you lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. The faith that you have is useful to believe that you need a miracle when everybody else is saying that it's over, it's dead, it's not coming back to life, it's not going to work. It's faith that is useful 
to bring it back to life. In John chapter 20, verse 29, I want you to see that there's a blessing in having faith. Somehow, some way, when me and Miss Karen are talking about Bible, Scripture, whatever we're talking about, somehow we always end up one way or another quoting this Scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples after he has risen from the dead. They're hiding. And he's talking to Thomas specifically after his moment of doubting. I'm so tired of calling him Doubting Thomas. He didn't doubt for however many years. And he didn't doubt after this fact either. He died in India, the same place that Judith is from. They have a church built to him out there. And he says to Thomas, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing in what you don't see that it will manifest and show up in the natural. I might not see it now, but I'm going to see it because God said it. And if God said it, He's going to do it. And it says here that there is a blessing attached to your faith. That your faith is useful. Your faith is full. Your faith is valuable. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 13 and 14. Paul is now writing his second letter to the church of Corinth. They didn't get it the first time. He wrote 16 chapters. Then he had to write him another letter because they didn't fully understand. And he says in chapter 4, verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith, think about that. The apostle, Peter, the apostle Paul, who once was Saul, who was killing Christians, who was riding on a horse and gets knocked down off of that horse by no one else other than Jesus Christ himself. And then he gets blinded, and then he gets prayed over, and he has scales fall off of his eyes. Then it says he goes out in the desert and spends time with Jesus, who teaches him the Bible before the Bible is written. Gives him a new revelation, the mystery that has now been revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he's writing a second letter to a church of wild humans that are taking communion and drinking so much wine that they're getting drunk at church. He addresses that in the first letter. That there is a, a, a man who is sleeping with his father's new wife. That there's sexual immorality going on there. They're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's showing up, and they're doing all kinds of crazy things. It's out of order. It's chaos. He's writing all these letters, and then he has to write a second letter, and he makes the statement that we have the same spirit of faith. If I was Paul, I'd be like, time out, God. Do you know how much work I've put into this? Did anybody else go to the desert for all these years? Has anybody else gotten beaten and stoned and shipwrecked? No. And you're going to give them in the crowd the same measure of faith as me writing three-fourths of the Bible? Yeah, because God loves you. And God wants you and your faith to be useful and flourish and valuable. According to what is written, 
I believed and therefore I spoke what we also believe and therefore speak. In verse 14, says, knowing that he, talking about God, knowing that God who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. That because Christ rose from the dead and God raised him, then that scripture says that God also will raise you in whatever you're going through, whatever season you're in, whatever you need to be raised up from, whatever insecurity, whatever sin, whatever failure, whatever death, if he raised up Jesus, this scripture says he is going and planning and wanting to and willing to raise you up from your ashes, to pull you out of the miry clay, to pull you out of the storm, to pull you out of whatever death and destruction that the devil's trying to do and raise you up and present you. And he's given you the same measure of faith, the same spirit of faith. The same spirit of faith that Jesus called Lazarus out. The same spirit of faith that Peter and John, when they pulled up the man that had messed up legs, The same one, I believe it's Paul, where the guy fell out of the second story window during the service. It was either Paul or Peter. And he goes and lays on him and raises him from the dead. The same faith, the same measure of faith, the same spirit of faith he's put in you. That's how valuable your faith is to God because Christ rose from the dead. All right, let's fly through the last ones. Another lie that was portrayed if Christ is not risen from the dead, is that you're still in your sins. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, I think. Is it 17? And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, exclamation mark. He's emphasizing if Christ is not risen, then you're still in your sins. But we know that Christ is risen, so therefore there is an emphasis that you are no longer in your sins. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, it reminds you over and over again, the truth that we're about to declare is that you're no longer in your sins because you are now in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and he starts off this statement within him. So because I said yes to Jesus, I am now in him. And because I'm in him, we have, that's you and me, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8 says, which he made abound toward us. He didn't barely give it to us. Here's a couple nickels. Here's a couple dimes, a little bit. No, he abounded it toward us in all wisdom and all prudence. And verse 9 says, having made known to us the mysteries of his will. Family, he is not trying to hide anything from you. He is trying to reveal everything that he can to you, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And John just puts an end to this statement in regards to you are still in your sins. Because in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, John writes... And you know, somehow churches in this modern day, we don't know this. We still preach that you're in your sins. 
Well, not here. Other churches, I guess. I'm here, so I don't know what they're preaching. We as Christians believe that we're still in our sins. And John makes the statement, and you know, way back when, that he was manifested to take away our sins. And look at this last statement. And in him, there is no sin. So therefore, if I'm in Jesus, and there's no sin in him, and I'm in Jesus, then that means there's no sin in me. Praise God. That's worth coming to church right there. I am no longer a sinner when I'm in him because if there's no sin in him, how can I still be a sinner? I'm the righteousness of God. And when you start thinking that way, when you start operating with that mindset, all of a sudden sin gets easier to get rid of. You're not chained and attached to that sin. When you say, well, I'm just in sin. I'm just, that's who I am. My parents did it. My kids did it. I'm just, I just do it. You know, one day I'll get over it. God will help me. No, no, he already helped you. His son was manifested to get rid of sin. And when you say yes to Jesus, you become a part of him. And when you become like Jesus, there is no sin in Jesus, therefore there is no sin in you, which means there is victory over that sin that is trying to attach on your life. Because he rose from the dead, there is, I am no longer in sin, I am in Christ. Praise God. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. Praise God. Two more, two more lies and we're finishing up. He said, if Christ has not risen, in verse 18, then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He says, everybody else who has died, if Christ did not rise and everybody else who died, that definition means to incur loss of true or eternal life, to have eternal misery, and to be destroyed. Praise God. Woo! Doesn't that make becoming a Christian sound fun? Once you die, you're going to be destroyed. Woo! There's, not, there's no eternal life. There's only eternal misery. But that's not the universe, that's not the reality that we live in. Because we know that Christ is risen, those who have died in Christ live. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to walk and trust in what God says. I'm not going to look at my surroundings. Because my surroundings have to change to who's walking with me. I am in Christ, therefore I have the victory, therefore I do triumph, therefore God is on my side, therefore what can man do to me, therefore I will not fear. And verse 8 says, for we are confident. But in 2022, let's be honest, a lot of people and a lot of Christians aren't confident. How is Paul making these statements? How is John making these statements? For I know I'm confident, I'm convinced, and I'm well-pleased. Not only am I confident, but I've got a smile on my face. I'm well-pleased that rather to be absent from my body is to be instantly present with the Lord. Whether you believe in the rapture or not, whether you believe in all the craziness of the end of Revelations, 
and we're going to be taken up before the Antichrist, during the Antichrist, after the Antichrist, whatever that looks like. I don't care when, how, or why it happens. I just know whether I am still alive and I hear that trumpet, I'm going to see my Jesus, or whether I'm laying in a bed and I'm breathing my last I've got a smile on my face knowing that when I open my eyes, I'm not going to be in eternal misery. I'm not going to be destroyed. But because Jesus is alive and he is risen, if he raised him up, the scripture says, then he's going to raise me up and I'm going to spend eternity with him. Praise God. And the last lie that we have that Paul speaks about in this alternate universe on why it matters for Jesus to be risen. In verse 19, He says, then also who have fallen asleep, I'm sorry, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful, pathetic, and miserable. If all we have is to believe on this earth that Christ lived a life, died on the cross, and he's still in a tomb, then it says here that of all the men, all of humanity, we as Christians are the most miserable the most pitiful people on the earth. But that's not true because we know that Christ is risen. And the truth is we are the most good, the most ample, and the most joyful of all men ever. When I hear that gospel message, that gospel message of knowing that I was dead, knowing that I was in my sin, knowing that I was disconnected from God, knowing that I was even an enemy from God, and I deserved the eternal punishment. And I heard that gospel message, and it saved me, and it healed me, and it restored me, and it set me on a path that I never knew that I could ever go. And not only did I just go on this path, but he stayed right beside me. All along the way, there's a joy, there's a peace that a lot lot of people, people try and find peace out there. They go to the bars, they go to the relationships, they go to the drugs, they go to the social media, they go to the power, they go to the fame, they go to the money, they go to the work, they go to all these things to try and find that eternal peace that can help them through the most difficult of times. They don't have to go anywhere. They just have to look up and say, Jesus, save me. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, who's been with Jesus, who's seen some things, who eventually gets crucified on a cross upside down, writes this in his book, in this you greatly rejoice, not just a little bit, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. He's like, I understand. We've all gone through good and bad on this earth. In verse 7, he says that the genuineness of your faith, the fruitfulness of your faith, the effectiveness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. See how he compares faith to at the most, at the time, gold being the most important of things. The genuineness of your faith because Christ is risen, is so much more precious and so much more important on this earth than precious gold. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, whom having not seen, you love. There it is. Blessed are those who have not seen, but still believe. 
though now you do see him. No, I'm sorry, though now you do not see him, yet believing, look at this, you rejoice with a little bit of joy. You rejoice with like a smirk or, eh, I guess he's all right, it's fine. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Praise God. That we are not the most miserable, the most pitiful, the most worthless humans on earth. We're the most joyful. Everywhere we go, we bring Jesus with us. We bring the Holy Spirit with us. We bring God following us. And everywhere we go, people just say, what's different about you? Well, because Christ is risen, I'm the most joyful. But I saw this happen and that happen. I know, but God is good. He's going to work away. He's going to show up. He's going to send angels. He's going to send miracles. He's going to send signs, wonders. He's done it before. He'll do it again. So therefore, I'm not going to stand in the misery of this loss. I'm going to be joyful, and I'm going to glory in my Jesus. So why does it matter? I gave you six reasons why it matters. Number one, why does the resurrection matter? Because preaching becomes fruitful. It has effect. It's full of truth. The resurrection matters because you become a true witness of God. The resurrection matters because your faith is full and valuable and useful. The resurrection matters because you're no longer in your sins because you're in Christ. The resurrection matters because those who have died in Christ don't perish, but they live for eternity with their Father. And lastly, the truth matters because we aren't the most miserable people on humanity and on this earth. We're the most joyful. We're the most excited because God is on our side. And if God is on our side, then anything can happen anywhere that we go. So let's stand up today as we get ready to go. The last scripture that I have I pray it over you, and it's the end of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant, verse 21, says, may he complete, make you complete in every good work, to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If the resurrection didn't happen, then you couldn't be complete. But because the resurrection happened, God wants to make you complete in every good work that you do. He wants you to succeed in everything that you do. He wants you to triumph in everything. that he, His plan and His will is in that book. And if it says that he wants you healed, he wants a complete work to happen. If he wants you saved, then he wants to pull all the sin out of you. He wants to forget all of that sin. He's not going to bring it up later on and be like, well, I can't believe you did that. No, no, no. He, as far as the east is from the west, he has released you from your sins. Because he's not looking at you. He's looking at you through his son, Jesus. And Jesus is pure. And Jesus is forgiven. And Jesus is holy. And he's a magnifying glass looking through me. Praise God. He wants you to be complete in every good work, and that is why his resurrection matters so much. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. Not only did you send your son to die on the cross for our sins, and for him to die and be put in a tomb for three days, but Father, we, with joy inexpressible, say thank you 
for taking your son out of that tomb and rising him from the dead. And if you raised him from the dead, then that means you'll raise me. Father, you know these people have issues in their lives and that they need to be raised out of. There are hurt, there's pain, there is unforgiveness, there are sin cycles, there are addictions, there are insecurities, there are frustrations, there are relationships, there are things in their lives that they need to be raised out of today. And the only way that it can happen is by turning to you, by putting our faith in you, by trusting in your word, by letting the preaching wash us with the word of God and be uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind, knowing that you're on our side, you're working for our good, you're, you're, you're continually moving upon our behalf. And so, Father, I ask you to help them, raise them up, let them see that there is light at the end of this season, at the end of this tunnel, that they can stand up on the bow of their ship, of their life, and say, peace be still in the name of Jesus, and their life has to listen because death and life is in the power of the tongue, and therefore today we choose life. We choose to declare life in God over our lives. Father, I declare scripture over them right now that they are blessed and highly favored, that everything they put their hands to prospers, that by Jesus' stripes their body is already healed, that, Father, they are the salt and light of the earth. And, Father, use us this week. Give us an opportunity to talk to somebody about the resurrection. Give us somebody this week to tell them about the gospel message of God, to invite them to church, to hear the fruitful, full of truth message through preaching next Sunday. Father, bless them, protect them, and cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much for your time, and y'all have a great rest of the week. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.